Well, good morning. I am so glad that you're with us again. Welcome to the, all of you who join us on Facebook Live, on our webcast, on television. Thanks for being here this morning. This morning, my topic is global warming. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. That's not what we're going to talk about. We are talking about the pardon this morning. And uh, specifically, I'm going to talk about how do I forgive? Because we've really unpacked uh, several passages of Scripture on what forgiveness means and why I should forgive. But this morning, I want us to break this down into some very practical chunks for us to, uh, to digest and to incorporate into the way that we live. And I really want to do a how-to. How do I actually forgive someone? And we're going to do that from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 to 32, if you want to open your Bible to that passage. All of us who grew up with brothers and sisters, remember when we were young, there were those moments when uh, we had conflict. Now, brothers and sisters deep down love one another, but there's conflict. There's always going to be conflict where they're brothers and sisters. And uh, inevitably, typically it was not mom, not dad. Mom separated us and she said, now you, you need to tell your brother or your sister that you're sorry and you, you need to forgive your brother. And we would coldly mouth those words, I'm sorry, or just, maybe just sorry. And maybe the other side would say, I forgive you or okay. Uh, something like that. And uh, I understand what moms were doing when, uh, when they tried that. And moms, I, I totally get it. We want to teach our children not to engage in behavior that's harmful, hurtful, and humiliating uh, to anyone else, much less for their brother and sister. And we want to teach them that when they're wrong, they should apologize. That's a good thing to teach your child. At the same time, we want to teach our children not to hold a grudge and to extend forgiveness and to let bygones be bygones. Those are, are very appropriate things to do. But I want to suggest to you that that may not be what the only thing we're teaching in those kinds of moments. Uh, what we may be uh, unwittingly, and unin the law of unintended consequences might uh, kick in, what we may be doing is setting people up for a view of forgiveness that is sort of stuck in childhood. Most of us need a much more mature view of forgiveness than that. By the way, this is just a parenting tip. Uh, if, if I could admonish you to do one thing in your parenting, it is stop telling your child who is the offending party to simply say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry focuses on me. It doesn't focus on the offense that I did. There is no ownership that what I did was wrong. I would admonish you to teach your children two phrases. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Those are two phrases that would really do them good into adulthood. And I, I would encourage you to do that rather than I'm sorry. But we all understand that a coerced confession is not real confession. And forced forgiveness is equally inauthentic. And so we want a view of forgiveness that is much more mature, that is much more well-developed, that is much more biblically balanced than that kind of childhood forgiveness confession uh, that we offer one another. And that's why I really wanted to plow into this passage this morning. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, what we have is 
really a, a passage about Christian living. This is a passage about what it means to live a transformed life. This is what the gospel ought to produce in us. As followers of Jesus, this is what the gospel really should look like as we live it out in our lives. Now, most of us would admit that we have a lot of room to grow when it comes to the area of forgiveness. We all have some area of some, some room for improvement when it comes to this. And so let's talk about this from this passage of Scripture. Look at verse 30 of Ephesians chapter 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. As I said, we've unpacked several passages of Scripture about uh, what forgiveness is and, and why we ought to forgive. But I want to talk about this morning how you actually work through the process of forgiving someone. Forgiveness begins with a decision. It begins with a decision that I choose to not hold the offense against you. I do not seek revenge. It really comes from a root word, the word forgive, that means to abandon. I am abandoning that hurt. I am abandoning that humiliation. When I say I'm going to forgive you, what I'm actually saying is this. I'm actually saying I'm, not, I'm going to abandon the hurt that you have caused in my life. I'm not going to let this hurt me anymore. I'm going to move on and move past it. But it also says to us that when we are, when we are people who are, are forgiven, that we ought to be forgiving. The people who are forgiven... Those who've been forgiven much should certainly forgive small things. And sometimes there are big things that happen that we need to forgive. So the question remains, how do I do that? Now, I actually gave you these three points at the end of, of last week's message. But I want to more fully develop them this morning. And uh, this whole series of messages has been something of a progression. And so this morning, we're going to come to this down on this question of how do I actually forgive? Number one, lift them to God. Lift them to God. In the passage that we just read, the Apostle Paul admonishes us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Not to grieve the Holy Spirit. The word there in the Greek language means to sadden or it also means to cause pain. To pain the Holy Spirit. What pains the Holy Spirit is what immediately precedes that verse, which he speaks about how we talk to one another, and what uh, comes after that verse, which is attitudes uh, and actions that destroy relationships. In verse 31, he lists a series of, of attitudes and actions that destroy relationships. Bitterness, wrath, that is, that is violence, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. All of those things are relationship destroyers. And the only way for us to walk in the Spirit and not grieve the Spirit is on, in, by focusing our hearts on prayer. 
One of the first things you need to learn to do in order to truly experience and extend forgiveness is we need to learn to pray for one another. Listen to the words of Matthew's gospel in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If we're going to truly advance forgiveness in our hearts, if we're going to experience the freedom that comes from forgiveness, it all begins in our prayer life. It begins in our surrendering to what God has for us. It begins in taking our hurts to God. It begins in being honest with God in our prayer life. You see, by prayer, my heart becomes open to what God is doing and what God wants to do in my life. Lisa Turkhurst has written a great book on forgiveness. It was released late last year. I actually read it in um, preparation for this series of messages, and she says some really insightful things about forgiveness. Some of our ladies have done some of her studies. She runs a ministry called Proverbs 31 Ministry. Now, Proverbs 31 describes in, a, in a very glowing terms uh, sort of a, an ideal woman who follows the Lord. So if you run a ministry called Proverbs 31 Ministry, you kind of put a target on your back. Uh, now, uh, in all fairness to her, Lisa Turkhurst says that her, uh, the ministry title is not what she claims to be, but what she's trying to produce through her ministry, and I think that's very fair. But a few years ago, her husband, Art, finally confessed to her that he had had an adulterous affair. And here is someone who's running a Christian women's ministry, and her husband has now had an affair. And, of course, she wondered what that would mean for her future. But, obviously, she wondered what it would mean for her family. She was hurt. She was wounded. She was broken by all of this. And he seemed unrepentant at first. Well, they finally went to counseling, and they started working together on trying to reconcile their relationship. But what she was struggling with was the issue of forgiveness. She was struggling with trying to work up the determination to, to forgive her husband for what had happened in their life. And finally, she came to the conclusion that the only way she could forgive him was through the power of God. She couldn't work up enough forgiveness. She couldn't force, uh, force herself to forgive. She did not have the emotional or even the spiritual strength in and of herself. And it was only when she devoted herself to prayer for him that she began to experience forgiveness. Here's what she wrote. Forgiveness is not about my determination, but about my cooperation with God. You see, so many of us believe that somehow I've got to suck it up and, and I've got to work up the power to forgive that person. And those kind of propositions are failed over and over and over again. But forgiveness is not about my strength. It's not about my determination to forgive you. Forgiveness is about cooperating with what God is already wanting to do in my life. And for those of you who are really struggling with an issue, and maybe it was deeply, deeply hurtful in your life, I want you to understand that 
It's only by your cooperating with what God's Spirit wants to do in your life that you're ever going to experience the grace and the power to forgive. But here's the good news. If you will begin to lift them to God, to pray for those who persecute you, for those who've hurt or humiliated you, if you will really begin to pray for them, I'm going to tell you what you're doing is you're opening your heart for God to begin a work in you that can then flow through you. Your prayer life is absolutely essential to your capacity to forgive, to genuinely forgive from the heart and not simply say words. Secondly, leave them with God. First of all, we want to pray. We want to, we want to pray for those who persecute us. But we also need to leave them with God. Now, what do I mean by this? God has, take care, has taken care of us, and God can take care of my persecutors. God can take care of those who have offended me, who've harmed me, and who've hurt me. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, the Bible says this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge. But beloved, leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now I want you to see a contrast in this verse that quite honestly, I'd never seen before. There are two words used here for a response to an offense, to a response to someone who does something to you, perhaps to do something to you that's sinful. There's the human response, which is revenge. I want to get back at you. I want to respond in kind. You hurt me, I want to hurt you. You slandered me, well, I'll just slander you. You did something that harmed my child, well, I'll do something that I find equally uh, distasteful to you. That's revenge. I want to respond in kind. And revenge is rooted in justice, at least in our thought process about what justice is. It's probably a human fallen concept of justice, but that's where revenge is rooted. On the other hand, the word that is used of God is not revenge. It is vengeance. Vengeance is different from revenge. It really is. Only God can truly operate in the realm of vengeance. Here's what vengeance is. Vengeance is justice tempered with the right amount of mercy. Vengeance is not pure justice. It is God exercising justice, yes. But God never exercises justice without extending at least some mercy. And that mercy may be simply the conviction of sin and trying to draw you to repent. That's merciful on God's part. But God always knows how to mix justice and mercy in the right measures. We don't. We want revenge. God says, vengeance is mine. So what God says to us is this. I want you to leave this up to me. 
Now that is hard for those of us who are control freaks. For those of us who like to be in control, we don't want to leave this with God. We want to deal with this ourselves in our own way. But God says, you leave them with me. You leave them with me. Now, I want you to think about a couple of things with me about why you can do that. You say, how could I possibly do that, Bob? You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they hurt me. You don't know how they humiliated me. You don't know what they did to my child. How can you say, just leave it with God? Well, the first thing that I would say to you is this. Sin always comes with a package deal of consequences. Isn't that true in your life? It's true in mine. I'm going to tell you, when I sin, there's a package deal of consequences that follow. Now, it's not judgment. It's just the way that God set up a moral universe that when I sin, there are consequences of that sin. There's an adage that I've used many times with you in messages that I believe is absolutely true. We've said it over and over again. Here it is. Choose to sin. Choose to suffer. There is suffering that follows from sin. And some of you are sitting there on your couch right now and you're nodding your head and you're going, yeah, in my life, I've seen that. When I've done dumb things, when I've done disobedient things, when those things happen to me, then yes, there are consequences that follow. If that's true for you, don't you think that's true for the one who hurt you. You see, we seem to think when somebody hurts us or when they wound us and when they do something awful that they get off scot-free. It's, it's what it looks like to us. What we see is that we got hurt. And they seem to have gotten off scot-free. It seems like there's no consequence in their life. Do you think God deals with them differently than he deals with you? He doesn't. God's dealing with them too. Now, they may put on a smile. They may act like nothing's happening. But the truth is that God is mixing justice and mercy in their life. And when you leave them with God, God can take care of them. God will take care of them. God will take care of you and God will take care of them. Now, in the case, in our case, what we want is justice. But when we sin, what we want is mercy. And for those that have hurt you, as followers of Jesus, what we ought to desire, and when we leave them with God, is that he convicts them, they repent, and they experience the full forgiveness of sin that we too have experienced. Let me also deal with a second reason that I believe you can leave them with God and something that I think we really need to consider. And that is that I think sometimes we say, I can't leave them with God because I can't forgive and forget. I can't forgive and forget. So I, since this is dominating my mind, since I think about this hurtful incident every time I come across this situation or every time I come across them in some kind of social setting or maybe even at church, I can't forgive and forget so I can't leave them with God. I really wanted to touch on this subject in this course of messages because I think this is so important and it is such a huge misunderstanding 
It is a, a vast misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. The first thing you need to know is this. The expression forgive and forget is not in the Bible. It is not in the Bible. Forgive and forget is not a biblical concept. Now, there is a sense in which it might be, help, it might be a little bit helpful to us. I mean, every now and then, um, our, our, our story is that, that we need to put some bygone thing behind us and, and just move on. And in that sense, maybe it's helpful, but it's not biblical. It is not biblical to say forgive and forget because sometimes our healed hurts become our testimony. And we don't forget it because this is how God has been at work in my life. And that's a good thing. But the truth is that when it comes to forgiving and forgetting, sometimes it's not even helpful. Uh, let me give you an example of that from my past. I was serving a church and um, one of my friends in that church came to me and he told me his story. And his story was that as a pretty young boy, his father abandoned his mother, his brother, and him. He just went away and never came back. And my friend grew up into adulthood, really having a few vague memories about his father, but living in a single-parent home and struggling. And he had grown incredibly embittered toward his earthly father. Now, at the same time, he had leaned on his heavenly father. He was, he was a Christian. He had leaned hard on his mom, obviously, as a single parent. And he had leaned on a couple of men who uh, had actually coached him in youth sports and brought him to church. And so there were some wonderful examples in his life. But he looked at so many of the boys around him growing up. And at the ball games, their dads were always there. And he didn't have a dad. At least one that was anywhere close by. When he grew into, into be 16 years old, uh, he got a job and some of his friends got brand new cars for their birthdays or at least a used car for their 16th birthday. And he was just working a little bit, trying to help out his mom. And he never could save up enough money to get a car, not until he went off to college. He walked through his life longing for this strong male presence in his life, this, this father in his life. And while God sent others into his life, nothing replaced dad. And he so desired that. And he came to me and he said, Bob, I've tried to forgive my dad, but he had this misunderstanding about what forgiveness is. And he says, but I, I haven't forgiven him. I know I haven't forgiven him because I can't forgive and forget. Now, my question to you is, how does anybody forget something like that? That's not possible. You can't forget that. But here's what, over a period of time, I began to help him see. That no, you can't forget, but yes, you can forgive. You can lift your dad to God. He didn't even know where he was. You can leave him with God. But as you move through that, you turn this tragedy into your testimony. 
of how God provided for you through your single mom and how God provided these men who came into your life and one of them, your little league coach, brought you to church and you found faith in Christ because a man like that chose to reach out and love you. You turn this tragedy into your testimony. You don't forgive and forget. You forgive and talk about the grace of God that it took you through. That's what you do. So we lift them to God. We leave them with God and allow him to deal with the offense. And number three, we love them through God. We love them through God. There are so many of these situations, and some of them incredibly, incredibly tragic, in which loving our enemies is really, really hard. Now, Jesus told us to do it, but that's a tough commandment to obey. And there are times when I have to say, Father, I I can't love them in and of my own shallow emotional love. I'm going to need a supernatural love to flow through my life in order for me to truly love them. In Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul writes, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul is saying to us in this passage, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you need to find ways to tangibly express love for people who've hurt you. He says, if they're hungry, give them something to eat. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And he says, in doing so, you're going to heap burning coals on their head. Now, that's not literal. Don't do that, okay? That's figurative. What he's saying is, as you love them through the power of God in your life, that that heaping burning coals on their heads is actually a Hebrew metaphor. It's a Hebrew metaphor for causing someone to feel shame, remorse, guilt over uh, over their conduct, but even more important, conviction from the Holy Spirit. When you love them through God, love them with a love you don't possess and you don't have, but you say, God, teach me, show me, empower me to love them because I don't have it in me. Bob doesn't have it in here. I need the love of God to flow through me. He says, what happens is your kindness, your overcoming evil with good actually sets the stage for God's spirit to work in their life and in their heart. Nine-year-old Joshua Saffel got a bicycle one Christmas. He rode it every day. He loved that bike. As a matter of fact, he had almost worn it out. One morning, he got up in the summertime. He had had it for, for months. He got up in the summertime, and he realized that he had not put his bike in the garage that night, so he ran out to the front yard where he had, he had left it only in time to watch a man loading it into the trunk of his car. Joshua was heartbroken. He screamed at the man, but 
being a nine-year-old boy, he didn't know anything about descriptions of automobiles. He didn't know anything about how to get a license plate number. And so the man just drives off and Joshua's left in a puddle of tears. Joshua and his parents go to church. And Joshua knew that he should really forgive this guy. And so he got out a poster board, a magic marker. He wrote a poster. And then he drug a sawhorse out of his dad's shop out to the side of the street where his bike had been laying. And he stapled that poster board to that, to that sawhorse. And here's what the poster uh, read. To the person who stole my bike. You really hurt my feelings when you took my bike. But I am a Christian. And because Jesus forgave me, I forgive you. The next morning, Joshua's dad got up to go to work. When he backed out of the driveway, he noticed something. The sawhorse was face down and the poster was face down on the ground. And leaning against it was Joshua's bike. You see, by extending forgiveness and kindness... He drove somebody to at least repent enough to bring his bike back and hopefully to understand what the sign said. Because Joshua said something as a nine-year-old that so many of us need to hear in our 50s or in adulthood. I am a Christian. And because God forgave me, I forgive you. Here's the way Paul put it at the end of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. We have been forgiven much. Those of us who are followers of Jesus have been forgiven every offense, every misstep, every sin against a holy God. And God got vengeance for our sin. He did. In the perfect mixture of justice and mercy. Do you know where that happened? On a cross. The full justice of God was displayed in, on the cross in that Jesus died for my sins. He paid for my sins. But the full mercy of God is on display on the cross in that he did not pour that out on me, but on a spotless, sinless sacrifice, his son Jesus. And for those of you who've never experienced God's forgiveness, he offers it to you today. And all it would require of you is confession and repentance to say, Dear God, I am a sinner. I have broken your commandments. But I believe that your son Jesus 
took my sins to a cross. And he paid my debt. And I'm asking Jesus now to forgive my sins and to come into my life and to transform me into the kind of person who can forgive like I've been forgiven. Father, thank you for the truth about forgiveness. And Lord, this morning, our hearts are for those who have really struggled with an issue of forgiveness. I realize that there are deep hurts. There are scars that are left because of deep wounds. But Lord, would you please move in the lives of people listening to this today that they might experience the freedom that comes when we forgive others. But I pray most of all for those who've never trusted Christ, that today would be the day that they say, I am trusting Jesus for my forgiveness so that I can become a person who forgives. In Jesus' name, amen.